BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Thank you for listening to Spin, the rally pod, brought to you by Dirtfish Rally School. For your chance to experience life behind the wheel of a rally car, head to drive.dirtfish.com to find the course that's right for you. What are you waiting for? We're right here waiting for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spin the Rally Pod from Dirtfish. I'm James Bowen and here to guide you through what is a very special edition of Spin the Rally Pod because it's our first ever listener special. That's right, to celebrate the end of another year and of course the festive season, we're giving you control of the podcast. You've sent in your questions. So now it's time to introduce three men who will hopefully have some answers for us. Um, we've got David Evans. Hello, David. James, good morning. How are you? Very well. Very well. You sound like you've just woken up, David. No, no, no. no I've been, I've, actually, I've been awake. I woke at six. Oh, in fact, I woke at about just after five and then tried to get back to sleep and did. But then woke at six and was so <laughs> excited about answering these questions, I couldn't get back to sleep. So bright-eyed Excellent. and bushy-tailed. That's what we like to hear. Uh, we also have Colin Clark. How are you, Colin? Morning, James. Yes, I'm very well indeed. I've also been up since five o'clock, but I've had my four shredded wheat this morning, so I am feeling oh. absolutely ready to go. You're ready to go, exactly. And of course, we have George Donaldson with us. Good morning, George. Good morning, James. I've got a cup of tea. I've not had breakfast yet, but I am bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready for these questions George, from George just never Quite sleeps. Excited. George doesn't have time to sleep, do you, George? No, no. Oil industry and uh, trying to keep up with all our rally stuff. It's uh, it's quite an exciting, uh, quite an exciting enough hobby, I think, uh, as it is these days for me. Yeah. Uh, um, highly enjoyable. What can I say? Right. Question. Come on. I I genuinely right, so... can't wait for these questions, James. Are they are they are any of them nasty? We don't want any nasty ones. Of course, there's no nasty ones. There's some intriguing ones, David, uh, and there's ones I think you'll quite enjoy. So um, I, we should we should say. Uh, dear listeners, uh, our panel of experts, as we'll call them, haven't actually seen those questions yet. So it will genuinely be off-the-cuff answers. Um, but indeed, thank you uh, to everyone who did send in questions because the response has been really great. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. And we'll do our best to answer all of them in this episode, but we might end up doing a two-parter. We will see. Uh, so stick with us. Uh, without further ado, guys, shall we jump into question number one? Yes. Okay, David, I'm going to throw this one your way. This was actually our most popular question. So thanks to everyone who sent this one in. Uh, and essentially the question is, what should the future of the top class of the WRC be? Uh, can I pass on that? Am I allowed to pass <laughs> <clears throat> at all? What? What, what, what an absolutely <laughs> blinding start that is, David. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it, you know, this time last week, so it, so here's the thing. Oh, you know, we said we were going to get this done in an hour and we were going <laughs> to rapidly get through these questions. We're not, obviously. So the phone rings on Friday afternoon and it's a, a strange number that I don't recognise. I'm like, ooh, what do I do with that one? Uh, so I thought, no, I'll answer it. So I answered it. 
and the, the voice at the end said, David, it's Mohammed Ben Salayim. I was very oh, surprised. Oh, my word. Mr. Mr. President calling. Uh, and we chatted for ages. Um, and just, you know, I think it's almost impossible to overstate what a big week last week was in terms of deciding the future of the World Rally Championship. Um, and for me going into last week, it kind of had to be Rally 2. I could see complete sense um, in the safety and numbers aspect of, of just having a lot of cars out there. Um, can totally understand the technical director's feelings that, you know, it's a massive step back. No hybrid, you know, very little aero and far, far less powerful cars. Um, but as I say, it just brings an opportunity to put an awful lot of cars, an awful lot of drivers in cars to win the championship and make more spectacular competition. Um, by the end of the week, my head had given way to my heart. Um, and as you'd read in, in Dirtfish's story on Monday, uh, it, it seems that Rally One will stay. Um, the manufacturers are committed to it. And there's, I think, if for me, the, the, the absolute best would be an affordable Rally One, uh, which at the minute we don't have. Um, but if, equally, I'd caveat that and say, well, we need cars that are affordable. We need a championship that delivers value to manufacturers, which, again, we don't have. Because I keep banging on and going back to the whole cost of cars. Look at a, a car that competes in the World Endurance Championship. It's millions. It's way, way more expensive than a, than a Rally 1 car. But the difference is manufacturers will pay that because they're getting the value and the return on investment from the championship, which we're sadly not right now. So, oh, God. But rally I, I, one. What, what, Just I'll go with rally one. That's got that's what, what I don't understand, David, is why they seem to think they can get more value out of these ridiculously expensive cars than they could get out of a ridiculously successful championship featuring their car, the same car, but with less engineering on it. Mm. Why do they think a heavily engineered car gets better marketing value? than a less engineered car. I don't understand it. You know, gone are the days where Audi could say, we've got this wonderful new system that they call four-wheel drive and that they can sell thousands, hundreds of thousands of units because of that. Gone are those days. There's, there's, no, mm. there's no innovation in terms of the engineering in Rally 1 cars these days. It's all prescribed. It's all prescribed it, to the manufacturers. It, and to- Toyota don't even put the word hybrid on the back of their car. Absolutely because it's not. not their hybrid. It's not their hybrid. So I don't <laughs> understand. I, I no. think that is a really, it's, it's an argument that I've heard many times, but I would like it explaining why. Why does a heavily engineered car that's enormously expensive potentially deliver you more value than a really strong championship using the same car? It'll be Pumas. It'll be Yaris's. It'll be I-20s. Mm. It'll be the same car, for goodness sake. But it'll be more relevant to the man in the street. Because it'll look a wee bit more like his car. Exactly. So I, I think and, that actually, yeah. for me, that's absolute nonsense. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I there, absolutely there, don't get it. There is a point made by the manufacturers, from what I understand, within the meeting, big meeting on Thursday, uh, and the point from the manufacturers, which is an understandable one, and George, you'll get this from a team perspective. Yeah, they, well, I'm, I'm ready to make an input here. <laughs> they, so they've, in, they've invested in, in what was a three-year homologation cycle has become a five-year homologation cycle, They've invested, so the cost of the Rally 1 car has essentially been divided across five years. Um, so for the next three years, that car owes them a living, owes the manufacturer a living. That's that's one of the arguments being put forward by the teams. And you can understand that. So the significant 
investment costs, they kind of have to be considered. And you can't just, you could just ditch that. Um, equally, we'd lose Ford uh, at the drop of a hat. We would lose Ford because Ford won't participate in WRC without hybrid. Um, so, yeah, that's, so George, what, what are your thoughts? My, my thoughts are, um, uh, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love engineers. I love engineering, obviously, and and uh, I've had great relationships with many, many engineers in in many, many teams. But I'll bet you a pound to a penny that that uh, everybody in that meeting from the teams was engineers. They don't want their baby. They don't want to lose their their high tech babies, and that's normal. And it's fantastic. And and it it's right from their perspective. But it's completely wrong for the sport and ultimately wrong for the manufacturers. You say we're going to lose Ford if we if we drop the the Rally One car. Mm. Well, Ford Ford, I, I get it, but we've we've effectively lost them anyway. You know, we've got we've got a car there, but it's it's not actually um, really being leveraged at all. It's not it's not got the budget to be able to be leveraged. So it's actually sadly. Uh, the last couple of years just been a, a sidelines give us a couple of victories because they managed to get great drivers but they had problems because again lack of investment so the loss of Ford per se is not a problem so so that I'm going to just rule out I'm sorry Malcolm but you know I'm, I'm, this is a, a passionate uh, aspect and the, and the knowledge that you Ford M Sport will be able to make a, 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 a Puma um, R5 car or Rally 2 car, which will, will be so close to having similar power to the current car as, as be untrue. Uh, maybe the rules could be changed to even allow you to have a hybrid, um, uh, your own hybrid. Mm. Put whatever you want on it. It can be a light hybrid. Ford seem to like to do that on their cars anyway. It's a meaningless hybrid system on it, on their road cars as far as I'm concerned. I've, had, I've tried a few. They were a bit boring. But, but the bottom line is, we would have, Malcolm would have five times the volume of business that he currently has. He would be able to afford to run top drivers in his top Puma Rally 5 car or, or Rally 2 car, the new Rally 1 car. So that argument has no, absolutely zero uh, credence to, me, to my mind. Mm. This this is a decision which I'm very surprised that uh, has been based on lack of backbone. Somebody should have just made the decision. Yeah. That, that, I've got to say, that's a bit of my feeling. That, you know, there's, and, and actually, the decision, we should emphasise, the decision isn't made yet. It's, it's now, it, oh, hasn't gone, it hasn't gone to World Council, but there, is, there are obviously going to be some issues look, of... Sorry, Cole. No, 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 no. They, they, look, you know, I, 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 I get, you know, I'm listening very carefully for once to what you're saying. Uh, because you, you, you very much. I always do, David. You know, I always do. You didn't let him finish. <laughs> no, I didn't let him finish because because I had a point. You know, and I, and I think you know. I, I listen to what you say about the investment. I get that the development costs and there is an investment over a certain period. And and you know, and it's not just the engineers, George. It's accountants that run all these things. It's accountants and engineers. Between them, the two of them can make everything work. Apparently, um, you know, they want their money back. Fine, fine. Let's keep these hybrids for twenty four, maybe twenty five. But then let's have a very positive indication that, you know, that at the end of that period, we will be having something that's way more affordable, that's way more attractive to manufacturers, that offers many, many more potential seats for drivers and makes the whole, it reinvigorates the championship because it needs reinvigorating 
and and it's clear that, that Mohammed Ben Salim understands that. Um, but you know, we we just you know I, I, this this kind of you know it's got to be rally one, it's got to be hybrid. I, I'm with you, Georgie. It's, it's a lack of backbone. We all know it's wrong. We all know it's wrong. Everyone knows it was a dud move. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy at the time. It, it offered no engineering value. It offered no marketing value. It offered no relevance to the man in the street. It offered no innovation because hybrids had been around for 25, 30 years. You know, it was wrong from the start. And when something's wrong, what do you do? Do you keep throwing good money after bad or do you cut your losses? Do you stand up and say, no, nah, this is wrong. And this is where Mohammed Ben Salayim needs to show his worth. Say, no, it's not working. Let's do something different. Okay. Well, whatever the future of Rally One is, of course, you can find out all the news on what is going to happen with the top class yeah. on dirtfish.com. Extending it, it for five out. years, that's a catastrophe. 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 Yeah, they're, they're not extending it for five years. But anyway, it's it's interesting that we've now got 31 questions to go and we're already 12 minutes in. <laughs> well, the next one, hopefully should be a bit easier for you guys. Sorry, I was a bit nasty there. I, I put the most difficult one first. But anyway, Alicia on X asks, what is your favourite rally on the calendar, past or present, and why? So, Colin Clark, your favourite rally, please. I'm still struggling to get used to X, by the way. I've not even updated my, my, my app. It's still Twitter on my app. Uh, my favourite rally, um, Coffs Harbour Rally Australia. I absolutely loved it. The perfect place for a round of the World Rally Championship. The right size town. Uh, far enough away from cities and that you know city, as we found out recently enormous cities and rallying just don't mix you know we've got to be we are a rural sport we're a countryside sport we're, we're out and about in the hills and the glens and all the rest Coffs Harbour great town great place service park two minutes from an airport a town that absolutely embraced the rally a local political scene that embraced it some great roads I absolutely loved Coffs Harbour a, a town um, of eight people it doesn't matter, David. It doesn't. It was big enough. Sorry, it was big, it was, was big enough. It was big was enough to support. Rude. It was I very loved rude. it as well. But I, but I understand well. that argument. I understand it, and I don't get it. You know, we, we have to make a decision. Are we a rally? Is rallying for cities like London, like Melbourne, like mm. uh, Buenos Aires, or or are we a, a rally a sport that's based outside of the cities? And my view is that we're, we're, we can't work in cities. We saw it in Auckland last year, David. You know, we trundled two hours down to the most beautiful part of the world with the best rally stages in the world. Um, we do, you know, we, we get the fever in New Zealand and, and we, mm. we do the Fonga Coast and we do Teakau and all the rest and we're absolutely fizzing. By the time we get back to a little service park, <gasps> tucked away in a, yeah, it was, tucked away in a corner of the industrial part of the harbour in the pouring rain. We've sat in the traffic for an hour and a half to get there. It just mm. doesn't work. doesn't work. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so no, Coffs right. Harbour. Just to, to make it simple, okay. Uh, Coffs Harbour, my favourite by by not a, a long way, but by a reasonable way. George, quickly, your favourite rally, please. Uh, I mean, honestly, there there's so many fantastic rallies. The old San Remo that ran down through Tuscany, Argentina, just utterly, utterly amazing. It's just a rally not to be missed uh, as a spectator, as a team member. As a competitor, brilliant. But of course, the uh, the classic safaris that we used to do up until uh, 1995 was the last proper one. Um, 96 wasn't bad, but it was already heavily denuded when all the teams came. Uh, it became an easier event to do, which which was valid. I don't I don't I don't um, um, decry that move at all. Far from it. I applauded it. 
Uh, but the pre-95 safari rallies, they were just to be loved. And uh, like uh, like Colin, Australia, but Western Australia, <laughs> I loved the, the, the rally in Perth. And that, that gave us the best super special stage of all time. And the only spe- the only super special stage that was, you couldn't not go and watch it because it was so spectacular. Tell me that of any other stage. The cars were doing 130, 140 kph, 150 kph over a jump, all right in front of you over a 450 metre stadium. The corners at the end were 200 metre wide hairpins. The cars were completely sideways all the time. Just spectacular. Pro pro racing in Argentina. Oh, yeah. That was, that yeah. was almost as good. Never got never got to see that one uh, because obviously working servicing so oh, that was good but yeah the, the film of it was good yeah no, never actually saw it in in the flesh uh, again everything in Argentina pretty amazing yeah no that's true for me probably going to be a little this can be James this can be it doesn't need to be a current rally or anything it can I can go Past all the way present. back to, yeah whatever right. you like it's gonna for me it has to be an old style. RAC rally, uh, a, a, a one that I never worked on, obviously. Uh, but the sort of thing, you know, ninety-five chasing Colin McRae round with my my father, uh, going on a linear route up and down the country, just absolutely loved it. A sense of occasion was massive. Yeah. The An country, adventure, David. A hundred percent adventure, absolutely, yeah. George. It was it was just brilliant, and some of the the, the best roads in the world. Um, yeah. And just living it for five days, uh, sleeping in the car, it was it was amazing. It's what it's everything that I love about this sport. So yeah, that one for me. All rallying, one source. By now, you know that Dirtfish.com is the place to go for all of your rallying news. But when it's time to try your hand behind the wheel, just join us here at Dirtfish Rally School, nestled in the Cascade Mountains in Snoqualmie, Washington. Whether you're a pro seeking extra seat time or a novice looking to get started, we've got programs tailored to all rallying needs. And when you want to watch the best in the world, just head over to our YouTube channel. Our coverage of the WRC and American rallying is second to none. Follow us at Dirtfish Rally across all social media platforms and shop the latest looks in our merchandise store now. As always, rally on. Next question, Colin, I'm going to send your way comes from Patrick on Facebook and he asks, does the WRC still need personal driver's numbers? Uh, He says he gets why F1 and MotoGP have them, but he can't understand why WRC with so few drivers needs personal numbers. He said he'd rather see the drivers in manufacturer order. Uh, Colin, what what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, look, I I get that point that he wants to see them in in manufacturer order, but you know what, it's about marketing, isn't it? You know, Valentino Rossi was the one that started it, Ken Block. It's all part of the marketing of the driver himself. It's all part of the merchandising. Um, it all helps to build the characters. So, I, you know, I love it. I love it. I think personal driver numbers, to me, it doesn't make any difference. You know, I know, I know who the manufacturers are. I know who the manufacturer drivers are. Um, so I, you know, I do get that maybe, maybe, you know, there's the argument that it does simplify things by keeping them in... in uh, you know, whatever it might be, a one to ten number, whatever. Um, but no, I think it all adds. I, I think giving them their own personal numbers just adds to the ability of the driver to market themselves, to sell themselves, to build their own characters, and, and that's what we need. We need characters and personalities, uh, and that's all part of it. 
Yeah, brilliant. And you see some drivers who do actually try and work with it. I think Cali Rovenpera uses his number quite a lot in his marketing. Uh, Thierry Neville is another one. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> others, yeah. others not so much. Um, Moving on. Ken Block. Ken Moving Block on. was the one who did it best. Ken Block and, and as I say, Valentino Rossi just, you know, they built, they built brands out of their numbers, didn't they? Yeah. They did, yeah. Uh, George, next question uh, I'm going to send to you. It comes from Jonathan on Facebook, mm. and he asks, why did Group S get cut if it was supposed Ooh. to be safer than Group B uh, with limited horsepower? I think about 300 horsepower was the target for Group S. George, what are your thoughts on that one? Ah, uh, well, actually, a slight misconception there. Group S was never going to be 300 horsepower. It was the same as, as Group B, and I think it was just an homologation difference. It was the way that you homologated it. The, the cars were... Uh, the cars were Group B plus, so the the Toyota car came, and actually it did have an MR2 bulkhead and floor. I think uh, the original MR2 bulkhead and floor, but the rest was basically space framed, so maybe the maybe the centre part of the tub. But I remember looking at that car. I mean, literally as it got rolled off the the transport and into the into the warehouse, the Group B had been cancelled about a week before in a World Council meeting. Yay! Group B cancelled. Not really. But um, I'm, I'm thinking as an analogy to, to, to what we could do this year. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, that car was unbelievably special. I, I, my, myself and my friend Andy Burnett were across in Cologne working on clearing out a, a workshop of all the old uh, Group B stuff that we had. Um, we'd been pulled across. And... Uh, um, so it was literally just a week before we'd got a phone call and it was it must have been before Christmas. I think we were across there for the Christmas party, I think is what we were there for, which was very small at that time, in uh, 1996. And uh, we, we, we worked away for about three weeks uh, putting things in the skip. I mean, literally, and the skip was out the back and anybody could drive around the back. And Andy and I were just going crazy. We were looking at stuff, discussing it, thinking, what, you know, what would you do with this incredible gearbox? And it went in the skip. And Andy and I, we were in tears. Oh, we were no. in tears. Andy was stronger than me, but uh, um, crikey. And then Richard Cragen, a man who ended up running a lot of Formula One races, he came in every now and again. And he came through and he said, oh, there's the Group S car. He'd seen it already, of course. And he, and he came in and he, he didn't have the ECU for it, but he jumped into it and uh, we connected up a battery and... Uh, turned it over and got the oil pressure up on the engine just uh, as a as a I think it was as a, a preservation action to you know make sure the oil was around the engine every now and again um but uh, that was the that was the car with the inline engine so the previous versions had been uh, uh, transverse this was the inline one it never ever got tested sadly so um group s was cancelled because it was even crazier than group b to be honest Right. It was going to be more powerful, more freedoms for the manufacturers. And uh, honestly, I mean, I think even at that time, they wouldn't have got any easier to drive. The Group Group B cars were animals, as as uh, Walter Rawl described them, as they were very, very difficult to drive. But in a previous generation, I remember being told that... Uh, um, Oh, was it one of the one of the old Saab drivers? Um, I don't think it was Eric Carlson. I think it was pre Eric Carlson had said when the two stroke Saab came out, and it had it had ninety horsepower or something. The three cylinder two stroke Saab ninety four or ninety two or what? It must have been a ninety two. 
came out with uh, 75, 80 or 90 horsepower. He drove it and he came back shaking, saying, look, I can manage that, but only just, but that's the absolute limit of power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a funny story. But but Walter Rawl said the same thing. Um, and, and we know that already in the first year of Group A, by the end of the first year of Group A, the Group A cars were actually faster than the Group B cars. Yeah. On times, but that's because better suspension started to come, mm. and more, more importantly, better tires. The Pirelli and and Michelin. I, I don't know. It'd be a really interesting story this, David, to, to, to find out what massive difference there was in tires from 1986 to 1987, 88, 89. There was some huge development in tire technology came along. Yeah. Um, and those old enough uh, c- can remember it, you know, even on road tyres, it was huge. So, yeah, Group S was a disaster. Sorry, long answer. Apologies. Stop. That's brilliant. Brilliant insight, George. I think that's really uh, cleared that one up. Thank you for that. Next one, guys. I'm going <laughs> to... Is it? Good. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to give this one to all three of you guys next. So, answers, uh, fingers on the buzzers, please. If you could make a three-car team from any drivers in the WRC... Uh, what would it? Who would be in that team, and why? Uh, David Evans, you can go first. Is that past or present again, or present? I think just present from the current crop. Yeah. So my in my team, I would have Kalaropampera. I would have Oit Tanak, and I would have Elvin Evans. We shouldn't. We, we needed a bit more context around the question, James. Is it just for one season of glory, or is it with an eye to a five-year plan well, for the well, future? Come on, guys! You've answered the question already. You've done very well. Josh, Don't spoil it, David. I've given you all the context we've got, David. I'm, I'm afraid we just have to use our imaginations. Sorry, George Donaldson. Your three-car team. Well, who's in it? I'm, I'm going to answer this question slightly different, James. Uh, l- let's just point out the fact that when you've got two top drivers in a in a team, things can get quite contentious, yeah, uh, uh, and quite difficult to handle. And Toyota have managed that very well this year. Um, Hyundai didn't manage it very well the last time they had two top drivers. Let's be honest, that wasn't brilliant at any stage. There was there was it was fractious. So um, I'm thinking to myself, uh, I would take a I would do the same as Colin. I would have. Seb Ogier, assuming that I could get a full year out of him, uh, I think I would, uh, I would then take one of the failed drivers, um, likes of uh, Andreas Mickelson or Hayden Padden, because I think they still have the potential to do well, and they would actually recognise to give a great backup to Seb Ogier, and I think both of them would would uh, suck up the experience as in fact uh, Andreas has demonstrated before when he was at VW and the third driver um, honestly speaking uh, I'll take the biggest chance of all uh, and maybe slightly romantic in that I'm just desperate to see young drivers succeed having been one myself I'm going to give uh, Adrian Formo a go so there you are Auger, Hayden Padden or Andreas Mickelson and um, Adrian Formo, I believe, he's got a great chance. You've got four drives in a three-driver team, then. No, I, I, I said or. Or, I haven't decided yet. I'm still deciding. Whichever one I could get. Uh, well, all right. I think, I might I think have both of them are worth, a, both or, of them are worth a chip. I, I mean, you or could I take had, as, Or I might have had as, Oliver Solberg. Or I might have had... Mm, yeah. Not very decisive, yeah. that, George. Okay, so Noel and Bradley on Facebook ask, what 
uh, are our thoughts on Rally Ireland's WRC bid for 2025. David Evans, any update on that one yet? Not, not so much. It does sound like it's got some, some, some credibility and some backing. So, I think we just need to to wait and see. Obviously, the the plan to run uh, the event out of of Belfast, which Bobby Willis worked tirelessly on, um, has has gone now. That opportunity has passed, which is an absolute crime and a crying shame. Um, but yeah, I think Ireland is still somewhere in the wings. Obviously, I mean, it's a long process. Firstly, for the event to get the backing and 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 all of the cash and everything in place, and the organisation and infrastructure. And then, obviously, there's a there's a whole process to go through with the FAA and WRC promoter that you need to run a, a candidate event and, and everything. So it's probably a couple of years away, but I would say it's still being talked about. And there's still, va- there's, I was going to say vaguely a possibility. There's probably more than that. There is a, a good possibility, I would say, um, because the, the promoter's always been very clear as well that it wants participation in our part, in Britain and Ireland, this part of the world. Um, and historically, we we need it. Uh, so so yeah no I think it's it's good it's not imminent but it's uh, somewhere on the horizon George next question is for you uh, Gustav on Facebook asks to make it more equal with the part-time drivers who'll be in the WRC next year uh, he suggests the starting order should go by uh, average points per rally started what do you think about that I think that's an absolutely brilliant idea I've already been speculating along those lines uh, that my solution was to allow the stewards to decide the start order, as long as we've got a stipendary steward in there that, that understands what he's doing. Yeah, so I mean, I, I would I would suggest that um, that would be a brilliant idea. A- average points, average an average on the points scored. I think that's a pretty good start. I'm not sure it would be enough. I would say that system plus the option for stewards to reassign seeding as as the as the sporting uh, would would the would uh, sporting equity would would allow it to um, to do. It's, it's a tricky one because people are going to say it's a fix, but actually it's yeah. not. It's it. I think it's it's absolutely valid. So great great shout, and I love your idea. There we go. There we go, Gustav. You are now part of the you are now part of the um, the Dirtfish World Council. <laughs> it's a dangerous which place I've just to invented. Be. <laughs> I've just invented right now. It's great. There isn't a Dirtfish World Council. I hasten to add before I get anyone in Dirtfish into trouble. But but uh, there we go. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay. So Good stuff. amazing. Yeah. Great question. Uh, Majedj, uh Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, from Facebook asks us. I think this is a great question. If you could ride in the co-driver seat of any driver. What would it be and on what stage and in what car? So I'm going to, before David asks me, I'm going to say this is at any point in WRC history. Co-driver's seat, who who would you want to sit next to? David Evans? Fairly predictable for anybody who knows me. It would be, I can even tell you the time and the place. It would be stage 21 of the 1995 RAC rally. Sweet Lamb Hafram with Colin McRae when he retook the lead from, from Carlos. Uh, and took something like uh, 20 seconds or something out of everybody mm. uh, in Sweet Lamb, just in, in the dusk on probably what would it have been, Tuesday night or something. Um, fantastic. Just yeah. one of the, the finest moments in, in the history of our sport. So, yeah, and that would obviously have been in a, a Group A Subaru Impreza 555. Yeah, okay. So mine is Stig Blomqvist. The stage is Bjalverud in the 1980s Swedish rally. And uh, 
in, it, it's an Audi Quattro. Um, when he just blitzed everybody down there. He basically didn't need pace notes for that stage, so I could legitimately jump in a car with him right now and repeat that in a nice snowy condition because he'll remember the stage. Stig Blomqvist, I never ever got a ride with Stig. I, I, I was lucky enough to get to, to sit in beside a number of other drivers, um, but never never with Stig. I even got to ride with, with Hannah Mikola in a Celica on, 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 the, on, the, on the, the, the shakedown at... Um, at Thousand Lakes, it must have been, was it 1993, was it? I think it was 93 that, that, that Hannu did that with us. Anyhow, uh, Stig Blomqvist, Audi Quattro, Bialvarud, it's about 20-odd kilometres, and it is a roller coaster of a stage. And David, you're you're wrong about, uh, sorry, Colin, you're wrong about it feeling safe. It will not feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be absolutely amazing. And, and uh, the speed and explosive power, the limited amount of traction that the cars had, which is a key to making the car spectacular, not necessarily power, it's limiting the traction. There is so much we could do with this championship to make it spectacular. Another question. I'm stopping. I'm shutting up. Anyway, there you go. There's my there's my shout. The wonderful Stig Blomqvist. Brilliant. Thank you for that, George. That's a great answer. Next one, David, I'm going to send to you. Uh, when do you think M Sport will finally announce their lineup for 2024? Uh, well, they kind of have to give us some insight this week, obviously, with entries going in for Monte Carlo. Uh, so that it doesn't necessarily mean that whoever drives for them in, in Monty is going to drive for them all season. Uh, we saw that a couple of years ago, didn't we, when Sebastian Loeb drove Monty uh, and then a, uh, a restrictive programme. So, yeah, we will definitely get an insight this week. Um, but the whole the team can evolve. I, what's the, the regulation of that? They have to have a, a permanent P1 driver, George. They have to I nominate that's it. Yes. Yeah, one driver. So I, yeah, yeah, it's it's coming this week. Uh, I I would expect. Um, so yeah. Okay, stay tuned for that then, everyone who asked that question. Uh, Colin, I'm gonna give you this next one now. This was asked by Nigel and Bradley on Facebook and WRC Freak on X. Uh, how would you improve the WRC TV package? I think it's easy to get confused, you know, unless you have an absolute objective about what you're trying to do with a TV package. It's easy to get confused. You know, if you're trying to cover a lot of bases with one type of product, with in any form, in any walk of life, you know, if you're, you've got to be very specific about your audience, about your target market, about where you're going with your products. And and my feeling is we're just a little bit too too broad with what we're producing. We're not actually making something that is aimed at a specific audience. Um, and, you know, everyone keeps giving us an example drive to survive. They are very, very focused about what they do with that program. They know exactly what they've got to do. It's about characters. It's about controversy. It's not really about the sport. Um, you know, okay, we're not producing anything like a drive to survive, but if we use that principle about where we should be in terms of who we're focusing on, who we're trying to attract to the sport, then we can learn a lot and we can do a lot with it. Um, my issue or my concern is that we're a little bit too fixated on one element, and that could be the all live element, and that maybe affects the sport's ability then to appeal with other products, other TV products, if you want to call it TV. I don't know, broadcast will call it these days because TV's kind of dead, isn't it? Um, you know, maybe we're a little bit too fixated on one product, and that then means that we miss out on other opportunities because we're not really being 
maybe uh, creative enough in other areas. So there, there is, in my view, a, a bit of work, quite a bit of work to do in terms of how we sell the sport. And, and at the top of that is, yeah, OK, a lot, a lot of us will talk about social media in terms of the way forward. But you're right at the very top is, is the product that goes around the world, which is the TV product. Are we doing the best we can to maximise what our sport's all about? I'd argue we're probably not. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else want to chime in on that one? I'm sorry if that was a bit unfair, Colin. But uh, the people, the people have <laughs> it's asked. It's got me into trouble before, uh, James. I'm, I'm just <laughs> a messenger. But, but, you know, but we have to be open about these things. We have to be allowed to debate them. You know, it's 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 what it's about. You know, we need to be in a position where people can voice their opinions. Because if you don't voice your opinion, um, you know, then 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 you're doing yourself a disservice. And, and it's a it's a hot topic with with fans. The TV package, you know, there's a lot of of, of commentary about it. So it, it's definitely something that needs to be spoken about. I think I well, you I'm, know I'm probably the one of the three of us that that uh, watches most of it because I, I tend to follow it through stage by stage most events uh, and then then get into deep analysis. Um, so I I really love it. I, I love the the t- the technical content that we get. But but I, I miss a lot of the stage the stage side footage, and I like Colin. I, I think I think it could. Um, I mean, for me, you need to get um, a Hollywood director and get 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 somebody creative and to just really shake the whole thing up because I think it would benefit from it massively. Um, and I, I know there's commercial aspects, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which cannot be ignored. But at the same time. Um, that I don't think anything's being leveraged as much as it can. There's a degree of comfort in what we're getting, and it's being pared down quite clearly in accountants in the driving seat, because we're we're getting less um, strong technical coverage, if you like. We're getting we're getting uh, uh, blips and 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 gripes in the in the system where it's not working correctly. You know, we know if it's going to rain, the the footage is basically you know don't bother watching this morning, just just check the times. You know, and and I can check the stages later by watching the recordings when they put them up from the car. If I'm doing any technical analysis or I, I want to do any technical analysis, so there's my there's my tuppence worth. I I think one thing we have to say is you know you still have to take your hats off to to WRC promoter for the job they actually do in in producing yeah. from some incredibly difficult parts of the world you know it is arguably the most extreme broadcasting project yes we've got dakar and 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 all of those and but still to go from minus 30 in in sweden to plus whatever and i know that's a a marketing line that we trot out every year it's it's a good achievement it's a great achievement um but i think you know (laughs) it's perhaps unfair just to look solely at, at rallying because the question of what is broadcasting, what is TV, is is a is a question that everybody faces. You know, you look at the likes of even you know NFL. It's they struggle to understand how to cover it now. You know, all of our children, call You know that nobody yeah. watches TV anymore. It's yeah. all on the phone. Um, David, so. David, this is exactly my point. <clears throat> but my point is, I don't think that's being looked into I, enough. No, I I think we have come up with this. Sorry, no, 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 go on. No, no, you won. <laughs> I, I just think I think they are, you know, and I think it would be naive to think that the promoter is is sitting on its hands there. Um, they under the promoter understands it, and they are, I would say, they are approach, they are addressing it. Um, but there's not a quick fix for a sport like ours, which is very difficult. And that then brings you to the next question of format. And for me, this is the bigger question is we need to change the format. This mm-hmm. continual four days being 
absolutely beholden to a power stage on a Sunday. It's a nonsense for me now. You know, yeah. we need we need a one-day event. We need a 36-hour event. We need a six-day event. We need variety. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, appointment viewing is an anachronism now. It's, it's rooted in TV. And people keep going back to Formula One. The race always starts at whatever it is, one or two o'clock, I can't remember. Um, I don't care about that anymore. You know, that's that's an exception. You know, football, it used to start, rugby used to start at three o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah. Now, it does. You know, you've got Thursday night, Friday night, Monday night, Sunday night. Let's move with the times. Sorry. Gone on yeah, look, David, you're right. You're right. And and, and it's, it's you know, you, you've identified that, but... You, know, you it is difficult. It is difficult to change. And as you say, it would be naive to think that they're not looking at, into this at the very top level in riding. But my my opinion or my, my, my worry is that, you know, we've had all life. They have done this incredible technological advancement in terms of the coverage. But that was five or six years ago. And nothing, nothing has changed. We've not moved on. They've shown us they can do it. Let's let's move on. Let's see what we can do with this. Let's see how we can utilize this incredible technological advancement that you've shown us that you can master and let's see how we can use it let's see how we can use it more let's see how we can use it better let's see how we can use it smarter mm. nothing's changed nothing's changed and that that for me is the biggest worry yeah i, I think the the obviously the, the 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 job's evolving um and i'm sure that we will see um changes coming I'm Kellen Koshal and I just did my first Dirtfish course, which was the one-day women's course. My biggest surprise was how calm it could be in the car, and the calmer I was, the faster I could make the car go. The surprising thing about driving was that it wasn't necessarily a mental thing. I had to really get out of my head and into my body more, and I just felt a little more comfortable doing that for the first time around a group of women. But I will say, I do feel like I could do any of the Dirtfish courses now. I kind of know what to expect, and. You know, hopefully more women get into motorsports and then any day could be an all-women's day if just enough of us are in the sport. If I were talking to someone who was thinking about taking a class was kind of on the fence, it would be, you know, what are you waiting for? It's such a fun experience. Um, you're going to really learn something and you're going to push your limits and maybe you'll even have some more confidence. Thank you to all of our uh, US-based fans who asked this one. Uh, and the question is, where do things stand with the WRC returning to the US and where should that rally be? Uh, David Evans, what are your thoughts on that? It, it is coming, I think. Uh, there are some issues in in America. I think it's fair to say that the, the insurance aspect of the event remains a challenge. Um, and from what I can see, um, we longer term, it's fair to say that the Seattle and Pacific Northwest, Washington, we would always be very, very interested in in looking at um, a WRC round, but probably in the short to medium term, it is, from what I can understand, there's, there's Tennessee, um, Chattanooga, uh, and there's also Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky is, is looking really strong uh, as well. There's lots of, of options in, in Kentucky. So yeah, one of the two, and I would say, next year would i would imagine be a challenge uh but not impossible it's it's okay. still there's potential there so yeah that's that brilliant that sounds um, exciting uh george where would you put a rally in the us if you could uh pick an area 
uh, cricket. I, I don't know enough about it. I, I was, uh, as, as David suggests, I was up in the Pacific Northwest. I was in Oregon uh, Trail Rally this year, and that was amazing. I mean, that 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 event had everything you needed to to make a, a WRC event, including remote services in towns, a little bit like Australia Rally used to be when we went down to Collie and all the different places down in Western Australia. So uh, it was it was a great concept, movable service areas each day, a different service point each day, basically. Um, and that, of course, I, I would open up rallying to to, uh, to even more flexibility than that, to allow it to work and breathe. But uh, I, I'd, so I, I, I really quite fancy the, the area up there. Is it in Minnesota or in the north of Ohio, is it? And around the Great Lakes, where, where, where you were with Brenton Kelly, uh, Colin? Yeah. That's on, that was on the west, the east coast, wasn't it? Yeah. The east coast of, of, of Superior. Um, so, I mean, these, these, these areas and these stages seem to be just absolutely fantastic. I mean, rallying is a sport that basically, I mean, it's, it's called a European sport because all, all sort of racing started off on the gravel and they, they were basically rallies. But in in US, the the sport of rally is is it, it should be a US sport. It shouldn't be a European sport because there's so much of the country and and so many people enjoy driving rurally and they've had these great big powerful cars. Their entire heritage is 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 automotive. So, I would love to see the WRC going to the US wherever it can be managed safely, manageably, and sustainably. And and I, I would like to think that they would they would do it their own way, which I th- which I think would be brilliant, and they should be allowed to, uh, and give us a great a great new event, uh, please, wherever wherever, just do it. Let's get out there. Yeah, that would be fantastic, certainly. Uh, Colin, I'm going to throw another one your way. Uh, this comes from Peter on Facebook, and he asks, how did Dirtfish turn around our stage? Uh, morning interviews videos so fast is there a large team behind the scenes uh he says it's impressive keep it up colin we've not got uh, our wonderful videographer elliot barnard with us so can you answer this one for us well you've answered it, <laughs> you've answered <laughs> it. it is it is elliot it is elliot barnard we are very very fortunate at dartfish to have um one of the most talented young videographers i've ever worked with and i've worked with a lot of videographers young and old in my time uh, and Elliot is absolutely, um, he's outstanding. He, he really is. His work ethic is just unbelievable. He just, it's hard work and he just works hard. He really does. And he, he literally he, he works looks, everywhere as well, doesn't he, Cole? You know, if he's, point, yeah. if he's hanging upside down, he's still got his yeah. laptop open and he's, you know, everywhere. He's in the back yeah. of the car working. It's remarkable. Remote. And that, that, Do you that's hang we... him upside down if he does something wrong to punish him, <laughs> and then he still has to work? David, I know you're a hard taskmaster, but this is beyond even my yeah. expectation. No, I, but, you... yeah, shout Sorry, out no. to Elliot because yeah. he he really does do a great job, and yeah, he, he turns them around. You know, we do the interviews as quickly as we can before the first stage. You know, the drivers stop generally for a few minutes, uh, maybe ten or fifteen minutes before the start of the opening stage. We'll do our interviews, jump into the car. We're generally heading towards maybe the end of that first stage just to pick anything up that might happen. And all that time, Elliot's in the back of the car, head down, laptop open, editing. And he edits, he uploads. He'd be a great co-driver, cool Colin, because he obviously doesn't get car sick. He doesn't sick. get car sick. And if That's you've been with point. David and some of David's driving, you would be astonished. Steady. He manages to work. <laughs> car sickness isn't allowed. It, it's, no. That's a sackable <laughs> offence. <laughs> Clearly. 
but we we have there talked, Carl, haven't we, about about even trying to improve that service further by taking those the um, pre stage interviews live, uh, and if yeah. we could find a, a solution, um, we would possibly do that. You, again, David, we, we we need to, you know, uh, th this is for a, obviously a, a team meeting at some point, but th but it, it kind of goes back to something I talked about earlier on with the TV coverage, you know, the benefit, the benefit of live, you know, the, the, is there a benefit of doing them live? Is there a, a really a tangible benefit of doing them live? Or is it best just to allow Elliot to work a little bit of magic, uh, have an extra 20 minutes and, and put them up 20 minutes later? You know, I suppose it depends on the type of package you're doing, but... You know, we, we, we have this headlong Russian rallying f for live coverage. And it's like, well, actually, not everything does need to be live. Not everything needs to be live. Are we missing out on other opportunities because we're absolutely fixated with live? And I'm not just talking about the WRC here. I look through all levels of rallying. Your national championships, from the British championships to you know, the, the Roger Albert Clark that ran to rounds of the Australian championship, the Middle East championship. You know, there's this, this, this headlong dash to doing live stuff. And it's like, well, you know, it cost you a lot of money. You know, could you be maybe using your resources in a better way to produce uh, more targeted packages? I don't know. I don't know. It's a very good point. And we'll have that team meeting. So stay tuned. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Elliot getting uh, a, a well-deserved shout out there. So there you go, Peter. Uh, there's no big team. There's an Elliot Barnard. Uh, who does all of that. Uh, George, next question is coming your way. And uh, this is a slightly, uh, slightly interesting one from Alex on X. Uh, could gravel crews be replaced by helicopters? Uh, in a short, in a short answer, no, no, it couldn't be. Um, I've got a great idea for, for altering pace notes though. And, and, uh, and then, it, then it would lend itself to a system, uh, to allow a single crew to go through a pre 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 rally car pass on the day, which would then feed into the system that they have a heads up display, mm. would be amazing. Would be absolutely amazing. So three D a three D image overlaid on a on a smart little heads up display like a fighter pilot. Great bit of technology to add to cars. Um, and you wouldn't do away with pace notes because um, you you need that you, you need the ins and the outs and the little insights and the prods and the reminders. It would just change the role slightly, but the driver would have an extra an extra visual overlay, showing showing the road. Um, and then and then the safety could be laid in on that. So um, no helicopters wouldn't do the job at all. It'd be far from it. Sadly, maybe in the likes of Safari they they could, but that's been tried once. <laughs> uh, Colin McRae. No, it was no, it was uh, sorry, it was. Um, it was uh, Marco Martin had to yeah, drive yeah. the whole stage with <laughs> yeah. with no pace notes. Yeah, so it it, it just it simply wouldn't work um, as a concept because that you need you need the detailed overlay for each corner, the gravel notes, uh, ice notes in Monte. They're very specific, you know, and even telling you which which part of the road is likely to ice, and uh, you know it, it's down to when it might freeze. So there's a lot of live feedback that could come back uh, to the drivers uh, with a very simple bit of technology being applied that exists already, I feel, um, just to be adapted to a rally car. Might be quite expensive to do, but it'd be great fun. God, I'd love to do that. <laughs> Amazing. There we go. Pick one rally you could add to make your ultimate WRC calendar. Uh, George Donaldson, which one are you adding? Wow. Um, that, that really has been sprung on us, hasn't it? 
<laughs> mm. uh, I, I genuinely uh, uh, just what would always want to see New Zealand rally in the championship. Yeah. Uh, but but having said that, if uh, getting very parochial here, very Scottish, uh, we have some incredible forest stages in Scotland. Um, personally, I have just for fun. Um, I still have I still have uh, hankerings to to be, become a clerk of the course again. I was a clerk of the course of about five rallies back in the early 80s um, I've done everything in this sport I really genuinely have uh, but in the northeast of Scotland up around Aberdeen and to the, the west obviously of Aberdeen if you go east you get into the water south and and east south north and east uh, so and west obviously the uh, 35 mile stages in the forest uh, with dozens and dozens of access points for spectators to get in and see and very challenging stages and then you know you can go slightly further north beautiful scenery um, um amazing stages they'll stand one pass one pass only uh, and i would make that a 300 mile 500 kilometer wrc event and it would be based out of probably aviemore but remote services every day so no central servicing it would be an incredible event um, but the class, the classics are, are um, I just like to see all them back in. Many of the classics run properly. Yeah, David, you've had some time to think. Uh, what I do have, you think you're uh, adding? For me, it would it would have to be America. Uh, I just and I know America is 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 yeah. is on its way, um, but the sooner the better. You know, I've been like George, fortunate enough to be out and cover some ARA rounds this year, and just the enthusiasm the community and just the sheer love of the sport uh, is absolutely yeah. huge in America and America deserves a WRC round. <clears throat> and for me, Seattle is the perfect place. You know, the history with, with the Olympus rally, of course, the press on regardless was, was out of Detroit and Michigan to, to start with. But the last time WRC was there was in um, Pacific Northwest and Seattle is, it's a fantastic city. It's got everything that you need. Uh, certainly Dirtfish is there to, to host the, the service park or, or super specials or whatever and some of the roads you know they are just fantastic yeah. the, they're amazing the, absolutely and, amazing like Monte Carlo some of them yeah and and all there you know gravel yeah. roads logging roads uh, it's uh, yeah it, it would just be fabulous to to see America Cole, you, presumably Cole you would be pushing for Australia yeah maybe Australia maybe Australia or New Zealand maybe but but Argentina, goodness me, you know. Mm. Um, you know, much as I love Australia and New Zealand, Argentina just gives so much colour. Uh, okay, we're in Chile, but it's nothing like the same. It really isn't. Um, Argentina would be great. I did notice this week there was a, a WRC delegation, I think in Ecuador, um, talking to the Ecuadorian government about a potential round with the WRC. But we need to sort out Argentina. It, it just gives the championship just something very, very special. And, and that's what it needs. You, know, you talk about crowds and you talk about atmosphere and you talk about you know just incredible scenery incredible um footage and argentina delivers all of that and it needs to the, the championship needs to find a way to get it back yeah and why are we not there colin finance yes it's, it, they couldn't pay the wrc promoter of the fee it's true that colin i remember the 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 time when we drove con el condor probably to a <laughs> now i mean i think actually it was probably the night before we were coming back up from Santa Rosa and we ducked off and drove through El Condor stage. And 
we were still at least 18 hours before the first car was coming through and the place was just banging wasn't it it was just it was incredible full yeah. and literally yeah. every other corner we were being stopped and offered steak and and all sorts of weird beers and, and stuff <laughs> and it was just it was um, it was actually really emotional uh just mm. to, just tremendous yeah, yeah it's it's yeah it is a great place great place yeah, i could is, are we pretty much halfway through now? Should should we now call this and make this part one of a two-parter? I think that makes sense. Yes. I think that's a good call. So, yeah, let's let's wrap it up there then, guys. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We'll see you very soon for part two. It's probably just up there in your uh, in your list of podcasts. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you for part two.